0: You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It's Thursday, February 15th. This is The Christian Commute. I'm your host, Seth Dunn, and I have been derelict in my duty as podcaster because it is Thursday and I still haven't uploaded Tuesday's show maybe it's because I've been at baseball practice every night which is where I'm on the way to now and you'll hear the uh, navigation lady in the background, I've got that turned on the other phone Because I want to make sure there's no traffic problems or anything like that. And I want it to remind me to get off the exit. Because it's a different exit that I get off of. But it's really annoying. Okay, I know to continue on this road. I wish there was a way to tell the traffic lady, just give me the really big important turns. Not every single one of them. I have a full show for you today, because somebody called into the inbox last night to ask about corporate prayer. So we're going to cover that, corporate prayer. Today's show title uh, is one I couldn't make up, because these things actually happen. <sighs> Fake Coffee Shop Ash Wednesday. i run that by you again. How about this? Coffee Shop fake Ash Wednesday and I'm not even gonna to explain to you what that is. You just have to wait for the show topic to start. As always, we have the Bible chapter of you. We're just almost finished with Matthew chapter twenty-seven. Jesus has died on the cross and now he has to be buried. And this is verses fifty-five through 56, or alternatively, verses 55 and 56. Here we go. Jesus has just died. The centurion has just said, truly, this was the Son of God, because there was an earthquake and the lights went out. The sun darkened at 3 o'clock. Many women were there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So these are women who have all come to Jerusalem with Jesus from Galilee. That is the region Jesus and his disciples are from Nazareth, Galilee. Jesus is from Nazareth, but. To speak in a greater, more broader sense, they are Galileans. In fact, you could tell Peter was from Galilee by his accent. So this is, they're Jewish, but this is a different region. Sort of like the difference between, say, Georgia and Missouri. You can tell the difference in an accent between somebody from Georgia and Missouri. Although I don't think Galilee and Jerusalem were as far as Georgia and Missouri. But anyway, among Jesus' group of followers were women who were discipling, or discipling, ministering to him. One's his mom. That's what thats what Matthew means when he says, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. I'm pretty sure who that is. I didn't Google it. I could be wrong. I guess I should I have Googled it. But I'm pretty sure that's Jesus' mom because Jesus has a brother named James although he could be saying it's the mother of the Apostle James. Because there's two Apostle James. There's James, the brother of John, and then there's the other James, sadly sometimes called James the Lesser. Also, Jesus has a brother named James, who's not among the Apostles at this point. So, there's a lot of Jameses. There's a lot of Johns. There's a lot of James. There's a lot of Jesuses. Uh, at this time. Those are very common names. They're still common names now. I've never met an English Jesus. I've met some Hispanic Jesuses. I've met plenty of English Joshua's. Common names. But I think Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, is referring to Jesus' mother. And James... James and John's mother does not even get her name mentioned, but she's with them. And we've seen, we you'll see her uh, other, other places in the Synoptic Gospels. But she's there, and Mary Magdalene is there too. So they have followed Jesus to the cross. Now, what is the significance? Why are they mentioned here? Well, you got to go to the next chapter, which we will. As we continue in the Bible chapter review when we get to 28, it's the women who are going to be witnesses or the first witnesses of the resurrection because they're going to go to care for Jesus' body because you're supposed to prep the body. When you put a body in the tomb, you got to you know, wrap it up right, you've got to put spices on it. That's what they did in that time. And after the Sabbath, that's what the women were going to go do. So I don't think Matthew just wants them to show up out of nowhere in verse 28 when they go to the tomb. Here they are. They've been with Jesus the whole time. And these women followers get a mention here. This will be the end of the Bible chapter review, but I want to mention sometimes there's people... I'm going to yawn. There's people who... Like to do conspiracy stuff and extra biblical stuff and say that Mary Magdalene was Jesus's girlfriend or his wife, which was not the case. Jesus does not have a girlfriend or a wife. There's no biblical evidence of that, and that really would have been off his mission. Somebody might say he was tempted as every way uh, we were tempted. And if he wasn't married, then he really doesn't know just how angry a human could get. Somebody might say that. Not me. I would never say that. But that's it for the Bible chapter review. We'll pick this up. Y'all again, I'm tired. I've got more work to do. Uh, I would say we'd pick it up on... Friday, but I'm probably not going to do a show tomorrow because it's go to work with your dad day, so my three oldest kids are coming to the office with me. So there's that. Okay. What next? What next? Of course what's next is the question in the inbox. Do you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics if you do you can dial 470-315-0875 or you can write to SethDunn88gmail.com if you have if you want to drive a white car slowly in the left lane on I-75 you can get in the other lane how about that so hold on well, my rage my road rage has to pass pass by as I pass the slow cars you are inconsist man they're going slow wow wow can't you see you're backing everybody up the car said middle Tennessee state university it's probably some government car and they're like well I've been driving my company government car I don't want to get a ticket going too fast and they're like okay I get it you've probably got some speed regulator on there get in the middle lane And Murfreesboro is the other way, and I'd appreciate it if you turned right around and went back there instead of driving slowly through my area. All right, this comes from the voicemail box. Nobody's written in to SethDunn88 at gmail.com in a few days. This comes from the voicemail box. It's Jeff from Slow Driving Florida. I haven't heard from Jeff in northwest Georgia in a while. I should just ping him on Facebook to see what he's up to. But this is Jeff from Florida, who can be depended on for a question every now and then. His question is this. How many degrees of separation should we have when praying corporately with others? Let me just answer real short. they got to believe in the same God you do. But uh, let's back up to his situation. Jeff works in a hospital. in an an emergency room and hospitals are full of doctors nurses orderlies administrators and chaplains so I've never been to a hospital that did not have a chapel and at least one chaplain but usually hospitals employ a chaplain and they're on a rotation and they go around and visit sick people In the rooms and talk to them. They're there to take spiritual care of people. So when you're sick in the hospital, you need physical care, a lot of times life saving physical care, otherwise you wouldn't be in the hospital. And you get down in the dumps when you're sick like that and your family's stressed. So they they send chaplains to look after your spiritual needs. Now here's the deal these chaplains are not always Christians. And they can even be non-evangelical Christians. And even in sectarian hospitals, they might not be the specific religion or denomination of that sectarian hospital. I remember when I had my complicated migraine, which shut down part of my brain and made my friends think I was having a stroke or a trans-ischemic attack. Or even a petite mall seizure I had to go to the hospital because we thought I was gonna die and there I was in the intake room and a chaplain came and it was a Catholic hospital it was St. Joseph's thank you St. Joseph's for taking care of me when I thought I was gonna die I remember, I'll never forget I went in my words were slurring I went in I had my credit card and my insurance and I said here's my insurance Here's my credit card. I think I'm dying because yeah. I wanted to go right in. I'm insured. So a chaplain came, and it was not a priest. I figured the chaplain would be a Roman Catholic priest, but it wasn't. They asked me what my religion was, and I was like, Ah, Baptist, you know. And then all of a sudden, a Baptist chaplain showed up, and I was like, What? What? Well, you're not a you're not a priest, because I mean, I wouldn't have been offended if they had sent if the catholic hospital had sent a catholic priest as the chaplain i would have got i would have understood even though i don't believe in all their mumbo jumbo but they sent me a, a baptist chaplain and he went to mercer i found out later which is just like it's probably a liberal baptist chaplain but anyway there are Jewish chaplains and Baptist chaplains and Methodist chaplains, Episcopal chaplains and, you know, Rainbow Lutheran chaplains. There's all kinds of chaplains. My friend Joe Boshears is a chaplain in the United States Army or should we call him Captain Boshears. And Captain Boshears is a United Methodist. The real deal United Methodist. He's working on becoming a United Methodist elder and he went to the United Methodist uh, Seminary Candler Theological Seminary at Emory University. Obviously not an evangelical Christian. He's a mainline Christian. And they have a little platoon or squad or group of chaplains. And there's a boss chaplain, like I guess the major, the colonel, or the general. I think all chaplains are officers, by the way, at least lieutenants. And this group of chaplains in the army, you can have a Muslim chaplain, a Jewish chaplain, and a Christian chaplain in the same little group. And they go do their chaplaincy. So Jeff knows this. So he knows when some chaplain comes walking down the hall, it might not be a Bible-believing Christian. You could probably give them odds that it won't be. Because the secular hospital, or even sometimes the sectarian hospital, doesn't care. They're just hiring chaplains. And I want to make this clear to you, in case you're confused, that... Hospitals who hire chaplains are not hiring chaplains to save your soul, they're hiring chaplains to make you feel better because your stress level affects your health. The more stressed out you are, the weaker your immune system is. They want to make you comfortable in every way possible. Chaplains are just nice guys who are there to pray, pray pray with you and talk about your needs. And they're people who are trained to be in these tough situations. Not everybody can handle being around people who are sick and dying and stressed out. It takes a special type of person. So that's why chaplains exist. The hospital. The, the, The hospital did not hire the chaplain to save your soul. Now, if you get an evangelical Christian chaplain, that's exactly what he's trying to do. But, here came the hospital chaplain the other day to Jeff's emergency room. And he wanted to pray for every room. That's what Jeff said in the voicemail. I don't know if he meant every room of the hospital, every room of the emergency room. I don't know. But he was there to pray for them. And... Jeff really wasn't comfortable with it because he didn't know what kind of religion this person was. Because, like you know, like I said, a chaplain can be anything. I mean, I've gone into the chaplain or the chapel at uh, Kennistone Hospital here in Kennesaw. There's a Koran in there and a prayer rug. You couldn't have that in a church. That would be uh, you really shouldn't have that in your house. It it's, it defiles a holy place. It's... It's a, a false book and a false tool of worship. But Muslims get sick and get stressed out at the hospital too. So Jeff not knowing what kind of chaplain this was was uncomfortable. And that's where he comes to this line of well, where should you draw the line for corporate prayer. And that's, that's what the chapel asked for. He wanted corporate prayer. I don't know if he wanted everybody to participate, but he wanted everybody to gather and pray together. At least close their eyes, bow their head, and listen while he prayed. And this this made Jeff uncomfortable, and I think it should have. Because when you pray, you're going before God. And when you pray corporately, y'all are going before God, whatever the group is. And you don't want to go before God with an unholy group, do you? At least, you know, not that, you know, Every, I'm not corporately praying with anybody who's sinned. Not what I'm saying. But you don't want to approach God for some blessing or for some request and have people who don't even believe in God with you, do you? Or the right God. Or praying to a false God while you're praying to the true God. So what I would say is, degree of separation is somebody who believes in the right God Jeff and by that I mean the God of the Bible a Trinitarian God so you could have somebody who's a monotheist like a Jew a Jew or a Muslim but they don't believe in Jesus being God and Jesus is God they don't believe in the Holy Spirit for that mat, uh, matter either or you could have somebody who's like a faux Trinitarian like a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness you'll never have a Jehovah's Witness chaplain by the way ever I don't know about Mormon. Maybe in Utah. But they don't believe, they say they believe in the Bible and and Old Testament and New, but they don't really because neither of them think Jesus is God. They think he's a God. So I would say it's got to be somebody praying to the right God. You never know whether somebody's saved or not, Jeff. But if somebody wants to pray to the right God, pray to the right God with them. I think that's fine. And, of course, it's up to your individual conscience. You don't need a group to pray with you at work. Dude. You could pray by yourself. I don't know um, if ER people ever go in and pray for all the sick and shot people that are coming in. I'm sure, sure they do if you got Christians in there. You don't, you don't need a chaplain to pray for you. A lot of people wouldn't pray unless there was a chaplain. So the Bible says pray without ceasing. So I'm sure the Christians are in there just praying all the time. And if you're not, now's the time to start. I'm going to say this specifically. This may offend some listeners. Roman Catholics believe in the right God. They just have the wrong gospel. So the Roman Catholics believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like the Protestants do. Okay? Okay? So they believe in the biblical God, their gospel is wrong. Right, Holy Spirit, right, Father, right, Jesus, wrong gospel, wrong magisterium. And you never know any with any professed Roman Catholic if they, you know, maybe maybe they truly are saved and they haven't figured it out yet. We've talked about this on the show before. I wouldn't have a problem praying with a Roman Catholic corporately. I might have a problem praying with a Roman Catholic priest leading the prayer because he's the official agent of the false gospel. I really hold out hope that a lot of Roman Catholics are saved and are going to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and are saved by grace through faith. I I have a lot of hope for that. I don't have any hope for the priests because they're official instruments of the magisterium doling out its grace. Okay, They're in on it. And uh, I don't have a chaplain where I work. Um I know I know some companies do. T- I have never told this story before because here's why. I don't want to talk about look at me and this is how much I pray and this is what I do, okay? The Bible says when you're giving don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and when you're praying don't stand out in the street in front of everybody and let you know be known for your eloquent prayer words like you want to be seen I am very quiet about my prayer habits, but I don't do this anymore. So I'll tell you the story. When I was the plant controller and manager of purchasing at Field Turf, I had a team. I had a group of people who worked with me. I had one, two, three, four guys. Uh, one guy was a Calvary Chapel guy. One guy was a Baptist guy. Uh, one guy was whatever his wife told him to be that month. <laughs> so he, he lived. They lived in Cleveland. So. They went to the Church of God, but then they left the Church of God and went to a Baptist church. But you, you got to know this guy, M- Merrill. If you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Sarah, you know I'm talking about. But a super nice guy. But he's one of these guys is you know he's hen pecked type of guy. Good worker, but whatever his wife said. And uh, the other guy was Roman Catholic. And sometimes I'd have an intern and when i took over the department one of the things i established was a regular prayer meeting and it was on the outlook calendars we're going to we're going to pray corporately here and now and it took a while to figure out the right time to do it because i wanted to do it daily but then you get too busy and I have to cancel it so what i did on fridays we prayed and on mondays we prayed and we got together And we'd sit in my office and shut the door and we'd tell people this is, you know, optional. You don't have to come if you don't want to. Everybody in the department came. (laughs) Nobody's going to say no to the prayer meeting in the Bible Belt. Like, yes, we officially can't fire you for this, but eventually you will be ostracized. (laughs) No, I wouldn't ostracize anybody, but I'm glad everybody came. I had a department. Listen, I wanted a department of church-going men, okay? Okay. That's the values I want. In Tennessee, you have to believe in heaven and hell to even run for office, in case you didn't know that. Oh, and uh, hold on now. We had my my Nigerian assist. She was a lady, but she was... um, She went to some... It was an evangelical church, quasi-Pentecostal, but she was a Christian, too. And I think she had a Roman Catholic background. But anyway, we'd all pray, and we'd pray out loud. And I'd start... And then the other guy would go, and the other guy would go, and the other guy would go. The hen-packed guy (laughs) would never pray (laughs) out loud. Uh, Some people are uncomfortable with that, and that's why not everybody can be a chaplain. But that was my meeting, and I was in charge, and I knew I was praying to the right God, and everybody there was praying to the right God. Even though we had a Roman Catholic guy in the group, even though we went to disparate churches. And this is the thing. I wanted God to bless our work in our department. I wanted to glorify God in everything that we did. If I was the leader of that department, I was going to be the leader, not just in the business way, but in a spiritual way too, by asking God to bless us. I mean, I would. I was like, God, we're about to run out of backing. Please get the ship across the ocean. Lord, help me order enough red fiber, but not too much blue fiber. I mean, I, I mean I'd pray about specific stuff, and if anybody was sick and... We'd pray, too. And also, I used the meeting as an opportunity to, like, what are you guys going to do this weekend? That's what we talk about on Friday and then Monday. uh, We'd say, well, what would you do? Did you have a good weekend? And there was fellowship there because that's good. Practically speaking, you want to have that fellowship. It's hard to yell at somebody and be mean to them when you were praying, praying for them the day before, right? I wanted to encourage that. Also, I wanted very practically the blessing of God. Also, it's the right thing to do. (laughs) That's how I lived out my faith through prayer with people who didn't go to the same church as I did when I was the leader of a department. Now, nobody works for me. I have a dream job. I sit in my computer and make little reports. And Oh, another report. Thank you, Seth. And I don't have to do anybody's review or get anybody to do anything. I just do it all myself. <sighs> when I used to coach church softball, I'm like, if I only had 10 sets, we could play every position, and we'd all be here on time, and we'd all hit 600. But I didn't have 10 of me. Anyway, anyway, you have 10 of me, you're going to win a lot of softball games. <laughs> you know, I have a great outfield and a really shaky infield. Not that good of a pitcher. I really wanted nine sets in a pitcher. <sighs> And uh, I'm, we, just had, I, we just had the Christmas party at work. I prayed for it. They asked me to pray because they know I'm comfortable doing it. And when I go up there, like, I'm going to pray to my God. They have put me in charge of saying this prayer, and I'm going to do it. If there's anybody in here that doesn't belong, believe in the same God that I do, tough. Mine's the right God. Same way when I pray, I pray before every soccer game, every basketball game that I coach, football, whatever I coach. We pray first. pray to my God. I know there's people on the team who are not Christians. I'm praying to my God. He's going to help us win. <laughs> Dear Lord, I didn't say help us win. I've only... One time we are having a losing season, I said, Lord, I just want to win. And then we won the game. But usually I ask, Lord, help us play our best and keep us safe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at banquets, same thing. And listen, you can... You're in control of whether or not you pray. If there's ever somebody praying and you're uncomfortable with them for whatever reason, don't do it. And just don't pray with them. You know, Hamlet says, to thine own self be true. Well, be true, be true to your God, the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But good question, Jeff. Hey, listen, if you're ever uncomfortable with something religious, just don't do it. But here's the thing. And we're going to transition seamlessly like Paul Harvey into the show topic, fake coffee shop Lent. Or no, it's a real real coffee shop, fake Ash Wednesday. There are people like Jeff and like you listeners of this show who have deep biblical convictions and then there's other people who are just outwardly religious. And you find these religious people In a lot of places, and they don't. These these are the people like the Protestants who say I'm giving up Lent. I'm giving up social media for Lent. I'm like number one. Lent is a Roman Catholic and Episcopal and sort of a Methodist thing. It comes from a Roman Catholic tradition, which you're not. So, and number two, then you're giving up social media is not like giving up some luxury like meat or chocolate or something to identify with the struggles of jesus okay you got people like that it's they sort of like water it down to have something to do and even though i know lent is this roman catholic unbiblical practice it of like it irks me to see people i'm going to do it and i'm going to do it my own way <laughs> like stop it. it it's supposed to be meaningful okay so yesterday was ash wednesday when you probably saw people, if you live, if you work in the big city, you probably saw people walking around with ashes on their head. I work in an office. Well, I worked from home yesterday, but I don't. I bet we didn't have a lot of people at the plant where I worked. In fact, today is the first Thursday of Lent, and the high ups had a meeting. <laughs> they had a meeting of a lot of the VPs in the conference room. And the CFO texted me said, we got barbecue. And we got a guy in our office, a Christian guy. He, he's another one of the guys that they'll ask to pray at these events. And he had made all this pork loin and all these ribs and chicken. He made this huge spread. So where I work, the day after Ash Wednesday, when you're not supposed to have meat, we, we were like pounding barbecue. And macaroni and cheese. <laughs> so... That, that's how we roll down here in, in the South, non-Catholic land. But I'm sure somewhere out there, somebody was having a fish sandwich. But Lent started. And Ash Wednesday started. Ash Wednesday started as an opportunity for people to put themselves in the right mindset going into what's called the Lenten season. To identify with Jesus in his temptation in the 40 days in the wilderness and leading up to what they call Holy Week, which culminates in Good Friday, and then you got Easter the next Sunday, the celebration of the resurrection. Okay. But ashes, by the way, are biblically are a symbol of mourning. So when people would participate in Ash Wednesday, the thing is you say saying, this is solemn. Jesus had to die for me. I am, this is a, a solemn occasion. I'm being pensive. I'm, now I'm going to prepare to fast and have fish on Friday. You know, no chocolate, no meat. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to fast. Not fasting from social media. Like they had social media in the year 1200. But you know, I'm going to fast from social media. You ever get hungry because you're not on your social media? Good grief. But people would try to identify with the sufferings of Christ and think about what Christ has done for them, starting with Ash Wednesday. Now, I've done the Ash Wednesday show and how I'm like, it's unbiblical. You don't mark. The Bible even says, Jesus says when you're mourning, like, don't go around all shoddy looking, like, woe is me. It, It says that. It's like, no, put on a. Put on a smile. Put on a put on a happy face. I'm paraphrasing. Like Christians, we as, as New Covenant Christians are not supposed to walk around looking all sad. <laughs> look at how sad I am. And when you do it with ashes, like look how sad I am for Jesus. Look how sad I am for Jesus. I'm and I'm not eating meat for Jesus for 40 days. Just stop it. Just stop it. But you know. But nevertheless, in theory. In theory, it's supposed to be a solemn church occasion. And now I drive around and I I saw a church in town. It's Sam Jones. And come on, Sam Jones. You guys were on the right track. You had just left the UMC. They offered drive-through Ash Wednesday service. Uh, Roll on up. We'll make a cross on your forehead. Say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and you can get on to work. Like it used to be, and it still is like oh it's Ash Wednesday. I am gonna take the day off or I'm gonna be late to work, I'm gonna to go to the Mass, I'm gonna hear the am ma- I'm gonna take the ashes, I'm gonna I'm gonna grieve, I'm gonna think about the seriousness of the occasion. No, in modern times it's like drive through Ash Wednesday. Now why do the Methodists do Ash Wednesday, by the way, or do Lent? Because, because, because Methodists come from Anglicans, and Anglicans come from Catholics. Because Henry the wanted a divorce. Anglicans like Catholic light, and Methodists is like Anglican light. Okay, but there was a Baptist minister. Now, the liberal Baptist church in town, Heritage Baptist, and this I mean, it burned me up for so many reasons. He sat outside the local coffee shop like not the Starbucks the locally owned downtown coffee shop Noble on Main now Noble on Main is owned by people or at least was founded by people who go to Crosspoint so surprise surprise why Crosspoint why com? of course they'd let this happen at their coffee shop and this liberal Baptist pastor of this cooperative, bellow- uh, cooperative Baptist fellowship liberal Baptist church stood outside of the coffee shop with a sign that says ecumenical Ash Wednesday so he in his capacity as a minister while people from all different faiths are coming in to the coffee shop you can be Catholic, you can be Methodist you could be a cross pointer, whatever and he's going to put a little ash on your forehead for you while you get your coffee so you can celebrate Ash Wednesday guys that's just, that's just meaningless that's just doing religion. And you, you might think, why is a Baptist guy doing religion? And here's why. He's a cooperative Baptist. It's a liberal Baptist church. They've abandoned the belief in the inerrancy of Scripture. Holiness is not a thing to them. They're fine with fornicators and homosexuals being a part of the converse, congregation. Unrepentant fornicators and homosexuals. They're fine with it. Lady pastors... Lady pastors always pro- precede the, the acceptance of homosexuality. Okay, I ca- I cannot think of an example where it hasn't. So what do you do when there's no power in your religion, right? When the Holy Spirit's not there, when you're just going through the motions? Because that's what the mainline church is—it's just going through the motions. What do you do? Will you dress up investments? Your preacher dresses up a little more you you put a purple sash around him and then you recognize Lent, even though Lent has not been a baptist tradition for hundreds of years oh we'll do this by the way heritage baptist church has a prayer labyrinth now so what do you have what do we come to in america you have a coffee shop owned by supposedly evangelical Christians, why crosspoint, All right? When the liberal Baptist pastor comes to them and says, "I want to do Ash Wednesday." They should say, "Go repent and believe, liberal pastor. We're not going to do Ash Wednesday here. We're not going to be Catholic or Catholic-like." And listen, if I was a Catholic walking in to the coffee shop, and some Baptist there, it's like, do you want an ecumenical Ash Wednesday? I'd be like, no, thank you. I would like to go to my church and get that from my priest, even though it's not a sacrament. <laughs> it it is not something I want to pick up along with my latte. I don't be bopping along with my latte. By the way, if you lattes are like something you'd really give up for Lent. Because the caffeine is a drug that makes you feel better. Instead of drinking a happy happy cup every morning, boom! You ever get your coffee in the morning and all of a sudden you're like, who can turn the world on with her smile? You, know, you, you just, woohoo, I got my coffee. Sometimes I'll be driving to work and i get about to Adairsville and I'll see the mountains ahead towards Chattanooga. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, why am I in such a good mood? I'm like, oh, I just drank half a cup of coffee. Probably has something to do with it. So if you really did want to identify with Jesus and his sufferings, maybe, just maybe, you give up coffee. But here's a bunch of people who have no intention of giving up anything meaningful for Lent. Going into the coffee shop to get an ash from the liberal Baptist pastor, and now they're doing religion. The truth of it, whether it's biblical or not, the theological meaning of it, it doesn't matter. It's just something to get with your coffee. Ain't that America? It's like Brooks and Dunn is only in America, but in a negative way. So not only does this world have the unbiblical practice of Ash Wednesday and Lent, but it's now morphed from the Roman Catholic Church into Protestant churches as something to do to get your coffee. I just want, I mean, I want to sit down with the members of Heritage Baptist Church. Like, why do you even go to church? Because you can just hang out with anybody. Just hang out with your, why do you even go? People go for community. We want to, we want to gather with other people who vote Democrat and have rainbow flags. I mean, what, what are you doing? But listen to me. That's what your religion will become if it's just something to do. And what have I been talking about in the last few episodes? Youth camps and purple spotlights and parties. It being something to do. Be so careful that your religion at your Bible-believing church doesn't become something to do that you understand the meaning of your actions and your worship because if you don't you'll end up praying an ecumenical prayer with a rainbow lutheran jewish pastor at Jeff's ER that doesn't mean anything at the very best at the best it's just going to tick god off you understand that like God can get mad, right? Like God, things make God angry. I don't believe in your petulant emotional God. He doesn't get angry like a... Read the Bible. There's stuff that makes him angry. And fake Lent at the real coffee shop is probably one of them. Cinch it up, you Bible believers, and teach your children the right faith and practices. As always... God bless. Remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. I'm almost to the baseball fields. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Tuesday. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.